Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Thank you very much for spending time with us today on the uh, Space Industry Podcast. We're very pleased to have all our listeners here and just as pleased to have our guest, which who is Giovanni Pandolfi, the co-founder of LeafSpace. LeafSpace, we've had Giovanni and we've discussed LeafSpace on the podcast before, but for those unfamiliar, LeafSpace is a ground station network manager and operator that develops and manages ground station services for sort of missions all over the world and services, space services all over the world. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the ground segment as a service business model or operating model and dive into the, the, the benefits that it can bring to missions and services in the current space industry. So, but firstly, Giovanni, great to have you here with us today. Thank you very much for joining us. And is there anything you'd like to just add to that introduction or? Oh, just thanks. Thanks for you guys for having me here on the podcast. It's good to be back. Fantastic. Okay, so let's get into this. Now, the ground segment is an essential backbone of the space industry. If nothing came down, we wouldn't know if there was anything up there. So I wondered if you could give us a bit of a brief overview of the ground segment as a service operating model and explain why why there might be room for changes or innovation in the market to, to meet these emerging capabilities. Sure. The concept in general, the ground segment as a service, let's say that is... It's pretty new, even though there are roots of it of, for a few decades, basically. There were, let's say, a couple of companies actually doing something similar from when the space race started, basically. Swedish Space Corporation, Universal Space Network, that then got acquired by Swedish Space Corporation and KSET. Basically, before was, let's say, more of a infrastructure as a service model. So let's have antennas sitting down a really special location and then lease time of it to satellite operators or to satellite users. Let's say that in, in the last years, and I, I'm glad to say that maybe also LEAF has its own has own push and its own role in this, we have seen more of a of a shift, not just from, from antenna leasing, let's say business model, but to add some other layers to allow to have a more abstraction on the actual use that the comparison that we typically say is with the cloud infrastructure before maybe you were just using some server located in a really high reliability place in the data center right now actually you don't even access the physical server but you access a layer of abstraction that then allows you to get definitely more reliability also to scale much faster much better and this is basically what the segment as a service is right now. A layer of abstraction that try to simplify as much as possible the customer experience to actually connect between, uh, to build up a connection between satellites and their mission control or the data delivery on the other side. And there's definitely room for innovation. I will say in general in the, on how we communicate with space assets because right now we are still like in the in the 20s or 30s of the terrestrial network. 
here because we had, like in the terrestrial side, we had switchboards, so it's manual switchboards. Right now, in most of the cases, to use a ground segmented service still like that, that we need to book to specific slots to talk with a satellite. So I need to check where the satellite will be in a certain place at a certain time and then book to check if there is a, an availability over a specific station and book it. So it's a lot of manual process. Let's say it doesn't make sense, or at least it should not make sense for for the evolution of the space. If we see also historically in the world, as soon as we have, as we had a step function on how easy we communicate, we had a natural evolution of the economical system or the ecosystems in general, because we were able to much more information at the, in, a, in an easier way. And at least we really believe that we need to push for to for that to happen also in the space sector, to have a really efficient and effective way of communication that needs to be definitely easy, easy to have. So there's definitely a lot of space, let's say, <laughs> for innovation in this. Right, excellent. So so the thing behind the model is that the user requires access to their space-based assets in a certain time period with a certain level of data volumes, data quality, that sort of thing. But they are agnostic as to the ground station resources that provide that access and that data and that that consistency and security. Yeah, yeah there, there are different levels and different layers depending also on the, let's say, on the ground segment as a service provider. Each provider has a different flavor. On our side, we try to really abstract as much as possible to what the customer needs to do to interact with the network, to connect with their satellite. So we try to be as transparent as possible. There are different ways. We have seen that our method works because we have a growing and ever-growing demand for our services and we are able to deliver. So we believe that it's a good way to, let's say, take out the burden from the customer of certain works, okay? Not just economically, but really in terms of workforce and know-how that they need to have internally in the companies. Okay, brilliant. Let's go into that in a bit more detail. You mentioned that Leaf has really been in, at the forefront of this kind of operator model for a number of years, and you've cast quite a wide net over the ground segment as a service industry segment, I guess we will call it. I wonder if you could give us a bit of an overview of how Leaf's services and solutions can help in saving time and saving costs for a, for space mission. It also depends on what you compare this our service with. If we compare with how we used to do back in the days, so basically building out dedicated ground segment for a specific mission, what we save is basically that you don't need to care of procurement of ground station, you don't need to care of researching for locations that have reliable power, reliable connectivity, and reliable, let's say, Men work to actually do maintenance and so on. You don't need to a lot to do maintenance. You don't need to ask for licenses. So there is a bunch of work that we take on ourselves just because we do. We have our own network and so on. An additional part of the work that we take off on the customer is also on the how we deliver data and how we allow these data transfer between the customer and their space asset because we. Up a software architecture to to abstract this layer to make it really simple. So we don't need, for example, a single customer to connect to a specific station when they need to communicate their satellite, but they connect to an endpoint and then we route messages across the network depending on which station is 
actually in touch with a certain satellite. And this is totally scalable. So you don't need to rebuild everything from the ground. You don't need to send hardware all around the ground stations to be sure that the antenna itself is compatible with your satellite. But we develop that baseband processing software on our side. We rely on standards to help on that. So at the end of the day, the advantage for the customer is that they don't need to think uh, about how to set up a network. They don't need to think about how to operate a network. They don't need to think about how to maintain the network. And they don't need to have a team that stay that is 24-7 looking at a, maintaining a certain reliability for the network. And in these, in the space ecosystem, in the new space ecosystem, this is really crucial because there are the new space is dominated by startups or scale-ups. So whatever allows you to get faster to to market or faster to revenue generation, the better it is. If you need to build up everything from scratch, it's a mess. And I can say that because we did the mess and it's always a pain. It's good for us to do it because we have different customers. You know, we can we really reach a point where we can add a customer to the network and it's trivial for us. But you need if you need to do everything from scratch for just your mission, it doesn't make sense. And also since the rate of innovation technology is so fast, you can launch a mission, have a ground segment that is perfect for that mission, and then the following on mission is a totally needs a totally different architecture because of requirements that you didn't envision before. And this is something that we take into account in our design, in our deployment of the network, of course. But if you need to rebuild a new network for each mission, it's a lot of money <laughs> thrown away, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think also the maybe the competition in the industry is makes sense because there are aspects of missions that are becoming a bit more commoditized and there are aspects where competition is increasing and therefore teams need to specialize or at least specialize in some aspects of their product or service that they can really be the leaders in. And if the ground station is not the core competency, maybe you should consider whether or not trying to specialize in it is right for your team rather than your payloads or whatever it is. Now there, there are a lot of options about us. There is KSAT, there is Atlas, RDC, Infostellar. Then we can have different discussions and all of that. But I think the good thing is that there is a market. Okay, There is a there is an offer, a differentiated offer also. And I think just a few years ago, there, there wasn't such a thing. I understand why companies like Planet, Spire, they needed to build their own, their own network because there was nothing uh, on that. And the, it's also the reason why they built their own satellites. Okay, Right now, the, I believe the new space ecosystem really matured, or the small satellite ecosystem really matured in such a way that there is a value chain. So you can actually you know, take advantage of the competition. Okay, And you can choose whatever suits you better. And it's also a push for providers like us to actually always strive to provide the best service. So it's definitely, it's definitely a big step that we have seen in the last five years, I believe, more that deep. There is also less satellite operators that actually that they have in mind that of building their own property network. Okay, They don't even have in mind. They just say, okay, I will get it. There is a commodity. There is also the opposite case where people think that it's, everything is already ready and they can just plug in from one hour to the next one. It's not like that, unfortunately, especially for licensing. Planning is crucial, but it's definitely much better than what it was back in the days. Excellent. And 
You mentioned the demand side of it coming from the industry and the some of the satellite manufacturers you mentioned there. Now, we've seen that sort of the satellite industry is creating business opportunities in the, the NGSO market, the non-geostationary orbits market. What are your thoughts on kind of reducing the investment costs for LEO and MEO, the low-Earth orbit, middle-Earth orbit, medium-Earth orbit, uh, ground stations? Yeah, it's definitely part of this business model in general. In, in fact, you don't actually, if you look at the at the space ecosystem in general, probably you don't actually reduce the overall investment in the ground segment, but you just divide the single investment of each company to that particular segment. And this is true up to a certain point. And one of the things that we try to do with our software in infrastructure is really to optimize in such a way the network activity such that we can increase what we call the saturation of each antenna. So how many contacts per day we can have with those antennas. Because the higher the number of contacts, the lower so the higher the number of contacts that we can actually spread the cost, the fixed cost that we have over. And so the actual lower price for the customer we can have. So I believe the investment for now, it's basically the same, but what is actually allocated to a single entity, to a single customer, is much less. And what we also try to do, and is in general the business model, is to move between a CapEx-centric model to an OPEX-centric model. And you know, when you have a startup, when you run a new company, you want to have, especially in a financial market that goes <laughs> like that, you... <clears throat> always need to think about how to optimize your costs. And your CapEx is CapEx. So once you buy it, you have it. And unless you have another financial ad, you cannot change it or you cannot improve it. OPEX is bad for us, let's say, but you can switch it on and switch it off if you need it. Also on that side, we try not to tie the, our customers to specific long-term commitment commitments and so on. We try to tie the customer to us because we have a reliable service and they are thriving in their business and so they can buy more capacity for us. So that's also, I believe, let's say some, it's a risk management, okay? We take some risk on our side, but to make it simple for our customers to thrive and so that we have a medium long-term return on that. And I believe, you know, this kind of thing is, right now it's definitely, let's say, limited to Leo and Mio and non-GSO in general. But I'm starting to see more of this approach also to higher orbits, bigger satellites, and so on. Now, one of the examples that we have is that up to last year, we were really focused on small satellites, say. So up to 400, 500 kilograms, that were our core thing. And now we are supporting satellites for more than one ton. So... Why? Because actually the requirements in some cases from for the network doesn't change with mass. Okay, it doesn't change. If you have a reliable service that is good for what the customer needs, doesn't matter if it's small, doesn't matter if it's big, doesn't matter if it's in Leo, doesn't matter if it's in a geotransfer and so on. I, I believe there is also a process that is, is starting to show off that is basically uh, I don't need a network that is specifically designed to the requirements that I have, but I designed the mission to be in line to the network that already exists in order, in such order to actually reduce the investment 
on the space segment. That's a new process. Of course, it will take some more time to actually evolve and to, but this is also, I believe, a work for our, for us and our, and also our, our competitors to, you know, communicate much better what we have already, what is actually operating so that the customer can say, look, I spend this if I take this service and I spend that if I need to build or I need the provider to build a new network for us. That's also a new, a new thing that we see. Excellent. Yeah. So as you mentioned, this those market forces coming into play in, yeah. in both ways, really. The supply forcing or encouraging you and other operators to, to innovate and to provide a great service, but also this is available to the for the demand. What can you do with it? And the nice thing is really that since customers are not, and let's say spending time, but because they do, they spend time, but not excessively <laughs> spending time on, on the ground, they can really concentrate on their business. And I believe that, the, for example, the demand that we're seeing right now in terms of capacity, so traffic in our network, it's also limited to the market that our customer that our customers have. If you think, for example, of Earth observation, there is no mass market right now, okay? It's just government, mostly government and some specific applications like Azure and so on, that already makes sense. But there is no mass market. So if we make it simple for our customers to scale their business as they need and so they can focus on their business, then their demand will, of course, it's medium term, long term. But for us, also, when you look at the numbers on the market trends, you say, yes, it's growing, it's fine, but it doesn't get the actual potential of EO, for example, that, that skyrocket as the consumer market actually buy images, for example, buy analytics. And on the same case, like it's the direct to device market, you know, that you're opening a big chunk of market that you cannot see right now in space. One thing is good projections or revenue growth. One thing is thinking on every vertical that can actually open up as soon as the business models or our customers are actually proven and made reliable. There's a lot of things going on, I believe. Yeah, excellent. Actually, that leads into my next question, the scalability aspect of, of, of the service you're providing. I wonder if you could explain the network cloud engine, because I understand this is how, well, part of what helps or enables customers to scale, particularly in new space missions or extending new space missions into a service based in Leo or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. So basically the network cloud engine is what makes our network not dumb, let's say. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it gives a little bit of intelligence to the network. So it's basically the it's a set of services running in, in the cloud that we use to orchestrate the entire network and interactivity and provide specific interfaces to our customer. And on the interface specifically, the thing is customer has one interface, doesn't matter how many stations we have on the other side, they just connect to that. So the let's say the work of the customers is definitely not linear with the number of stations that they get access to. So it's one time, that's it. Then it's our it's on our side to actually grow the network to keep the, uh, the demand. <laughs> and the other thing is really related to what we discussed before about saturation. We need a way to, to be sure that we are running the network in the most efficient way. That's why we, we schedule the interactivity of the network based on customer constraints. So we don't have customers directly booking on the capacity of the network, but we take constraints like how many passes per day they want to have, their latency requirements, <clears throat> the certain 
constraint on the link budget that they need to have, and then we optimize it. In such a way, we can actually run our network at a really much higher capacity. Right now, we are running the network at around a little bit more than 10,000 passes per month. So it's 340, 350 passes per day on more than 70, I believe now 80 that we're doing. And we can see already that the saturation of the network is starting to grow. Right now, the average saturation is around 23%. So we still have 67% of overall capacity that we can allocate. But we have already some stations that run a really higher saturation, like around 60, 65%. There are locations, of course, that works better, that where we have more customers and so on. So, of course, that. but the, the thing is that it's not really left to the bunch of customers to actually up that saturation is on the network engine to do that. And, and also, it's not really, uh, not even the network engine is linear scales linearly with the number of stations that's because the architecture of the entire network and the console operation was built to have scalability scalability in mind in both sense on our side more station more customers less work to activate new customers or to manage new customers and also on customer side it's one interface one one set of apis of course we always improve so there is always some more, let's say, some integration work that the customer needs to do if we have a new feature, but that depends on them. So if they want that new feature, they develop the software to, to have that, and we have testing environment and so on. Otherwise, they don't. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for explaining that. It makes a lot of sense. And as you said earlier, that the making the experience of that layer of abstraction as pleasant as possible for your users is very important. It's, it's all on the customer experience side. At the end, the easier it is, the more customers will choose us because it's easier. And and the customer ex- experience, of course, involves the technical side and operations, yeah. but it also involves how the pricing is standardized, how the contracts are standardized. We try to standardize as much as possible, even though we have customers of really different sizes from institutional to commercial or whatever, but we really try to standardize everything so that at the end, it's really simple for the customer to choose. It's not endless conversation on <laughs> which price this pass will have if I do over a location or if we do over another location and so on. So it's really to have the customer experience in mind to try to simplify everything. Of course, there are a lot of things that we need to improve this in general, but at least we're starting to Excellent. Following on from that, I think uh, having access to the most advanced ground station resources that you can for any space mission is obviously going to provide you with an edge. And you've described some of the reasons why, regardless of you know who the provider is. But also, it requires time timely maintenance on on the part of the ground station managers. Um, could you give us a bit of an outlook or maybe an example on how the OPEX can be managed using the ground segment as a service model? Yeah. No, it, it's really simple based on how we structure it. So for us, it is price per minute. That's it. Depending on the customer, how many satellites they have and so on, they do a certain traffic a certain per day on our network. The OPEX is simple. It is X euro per minute times the number of minutes used in that specific lake. Instead of having your PNL in the cost like 
20 lines of different different costs, the renting, hosting, power, internet connection, maintenance, whatever for each location. You just have one number and that's it. Of course, we have also a volume discount on the price per minute. So the more traffic is really like internet. The more traffic you do, the lower per minute you pay. Even the, just the model is the model is simple because especially when you maybe on a when you are on a company that is pre-operative stage, you need to build up your business plan, you need to build up your budget. You can take that number and that's it. You put it in your budget. It's easy, it's scalable. You don't need to wait six months to have a pricing or and then spend another six months to find out how to optimize the pricing. It's easy. You put that, you think if it's good for you, it makes sense for your for your budget, and then it goes easily like that. Great. Well, makes sense. Yeah, that was, I think, covered most of the points I wanted to ask. I, I just, as a, as a final question, I wondered how you saw the, the adaptability of the space industry with regards to ground segment as a service model. We discussed there's an impact both ways where the requirements of the industry are affecting what you're developing and how you're changing things, but also the data and the service that you can provide is also, you're seeing emerging signs that that's changing the mission design. So I wondered yeah, if you could discuss that a little bit about that, that into it in a bit more detail and also just give us an overview, if you're happy to, of Leaf Space's plans and your they are plans to expand across the globe and open up new areas. What what the what are you looking forward to with the development of the, the first question? So definitely we're seeing much more adaptability from the market on the gain segment as a service model, but just because it's more known now as a thing. And and I believe also it, it's really related to the nature of the uh, of the customer. And I can make you an example, you know. Because of this scheduling that we do, so that we we have the control on the schedule of the network. This was not a concept actually aligned with the general market before, so a few years ago. So what we, I will not say maybe decide. I believe we get to that, but we got to that, but not actually decide, but we got to that. Was we need to start with specific customers that were not already operational and grow with them with this model. And at the end of the day, they saw the actual advantage of that and they stayed with us also because of this, of this country. And step by step, we also pushed other, maybe other operators, maybe that were always, that always have operated with a booking strategy to also move to this. Of course, by improving how we do the schedule, by improving the number of constraints, how we communicate the schedule with our customers and so on. But I believe we had the right customers to start on that. They were enough to to actually grow with us so that right now we can push that in the in the general market. And of course, there's adaptability from the market to us. There is, of course, a need for us to be a, to adapt with respect to the market. And this is why we always improve the scheduling and the NCEs and the Cloud Engine and so on to, to try to understand better the business case and use case, constant operations of our customers, and to put all of them together with an ever-evolving product so to try to, to adapt on that. But we're still a response on that for the market, and that's why our capacity is continuing to grow. And that's why, getting to your second question, <laughs> we need to increase both coverage and capacity. 
uh, of our network. As we were saying before, we already have some locations where we, we are not at peak levels in specific hours. This is also due to the, let's say, the SpaceX monopoly on the rideshare launches that goes every time on the same orbit, same uh, and so on. So we have a bunch of capacity over specific hours that we can not put any more contacts over certain locations. And that's why we are doubling up the capacity on certain locations. So doubling up the capacity means easily doubling up the number of tenants. <laughs> and then, of course, adding coverage over a specific uh, region of interest or close to specific region of interest. The Ukraine invasion, of course, played a, a pretty big role in the, you know, let's say, an increase of demand from Earth observation operators over specific regions because, of course, the low latency needed to downlink that data. And with, and with this, there are also and other examples where it's not just more capacities needed, but less la- lower latency is also needed. And we're working to expand the, the network this year, and especially the first part of next year to allow that. And also, we're looking to install, maybe we'll, it's not public yet, but we'll give definitely much more details in the coming weeks of expanding the network to higher frequencies. So the main part of the network support SNX, band and X-band activity. We are looking also to K-band because we have a few customers that are already operating with that and want to expand their coverage. So it's, it's always moving. And also this is a kind of example of how can segment as a service provider can actually be much more flexible than a proprietary network. Because if we have two free customers requesting KA, we can make the investment to say to for installing those KA-band capable ground stations and we sub and we divide the investment over these free customers. Otherwise if you're just one, you know, you need to build everything by yourself. Um, and it seems also with the, with some operators like the first ones, like the ones that have their own proprietary network, for certain change in technology, they can actually use Gunsort as a service provider as a buffer. In the meantime, that you build up your network, because maybe you have a so big constellation that makes sense economically to have a fully integrated, dedicated network, but still you have you need buffer, especially when you use satellites and so on. You know, there is a bunch of stuff I was saying going on at Leaf. The we have seen a good growth, as we we're saying. So la, last year we we grew in, in revenue, I believe, around two point five times with respect to the year before and this this year is going definitely good on the so i can give you the numbers because we're close to the end of march but basically the numbers of the first quarter are identical to the numbers where it's a little bit more than the numbers of the first half of last year so it's a growing capacity (laughs) we just need the launch vehicles to actually launch in time (laughs) (laughs) And satellites to to work. But yeah. After that, we're we're good to grow with that. Yeah, I think a lot of people would like those exactly. things as well. So <laughs> that's fantastic, Giovanni. Thank you very much for sharing all that. Very open of you to share plans for Leaf and the things you're excited about the company's doing. So it's a great place to wrap up our conversation. Yeah, really appreciate the insights you've given us into the ground segment as a service business model and the drivers behind it and how you see the industry changing and evolving and i think it'll be really interesting for all our listeners out there to learn more about this topic so thank you yeah, thanks to you and thanks for hosting me it's, it's always good for me but in general to 
push more and to make some outreach about the gas segment is you know, not the related part. We'll see for the future. I think, uh, yeah, you're working to change that, so that's great. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. And thank you to all our listeners out there for spending time with us today on the Space Industry Podcast. As I mentioned, you've been listening to Giovanni Pandolfi from LeafSpace, and we will share some links to LeafSpace as a company. And if you would like to get in touch to discuss more of these topics or find out whether sort of service could suit your missions, your services, or the plans you may have in the future, the company will be more than happy to speak with you and we will share up everything we can there. And obviously, if you have any questions on the engineering or procurement side that you might want to help with remember sat search offers a free service for engineers and for anybody carrying out trade studies or procurement processes in the industry so we're more than happy to help you with that we'd like to thank you again for being here and look out for our next episode of the space news podcast coming soon thank you very much everybody thank you for listening to this episode of the space industry by sat search i hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to satsearch.com for more information on the space industry today, or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, or whichever podcast service you typically use.